0: Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. If you did not bring your Bible this morning, do not worry. We have some brand new pew Bibles right there in front of you that you can use. And if you need a Bible, you can take one of those home with you. But we're going to be continually walking in the book of Luke. And uh, I'm excited about this morning, just like I am every morning, to dig into God's Word with you. But what I'm excited about is we're going to talk about one of my favorite men in the Bible, and that's John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist has no care about what people think about him. He doesn't care what the culture thinks about him. If he offends anybody, he dresses crazy, um, he eats crazy, and he's just a full-blown preacher of God's Word. And so anytime I get to talk about John the Baptist, I get a little pumped up. And sometimes when I I think about how God um, um, brought Lucy and I here, I feel like I might be the John the Baptist of our county and our association. I'm a little different than most preachers in this association, which is a good thing, um, but I I love this. Um, And if you study preachers, if you study uh, men who have been called to preach God's word, um, you will know that God gives us certain words to speak for a certain time for a certain people. And if you look throughout history, you think of pastors and preachers like um, John Piper, who preaches just fantastic, very clear gospel presentation sermons. But sometimes if you really dig into why God gave him certain words to preach, it will blow your mind. Um, God and his word is alive and well. And sometimes God just brings the perfect message at the perfect time. Um, and that's what we're about to look at. What, the message that God gives John the Baptist right here in this context, in this culture, shook everybody. It, it was a shocking message. But the awesome thing about God's word, if it was good then, it's still good today. And I think we relate more to that culture that John the Baptist was preaching to than we actually think we do. And so let's pray um, and dig in and see what that message is. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just um, praise you, God. Just like the songs we sing, you are worthy to be praised. You are the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You are so good and so worthy of our praise and our worship, God, and we love you. But God, I pray that as we continue into worship, as we continue to look into your word, God, that your presence would just be overwhelming for us right now, God. That you, uh, Spirit, would just interpret these scriptures. That you would uh, allow us to see exactly what it is that you are wanting us to see, God. That you are calling us to repent and turn away from our sins. That we would turn to you. God, I pray that someone here has never done that, God. Maybe they're relying on something other than you for salvation. God, I pray that you just soften their heart. That you open their eyes, God, and that they would come to you. God use me, fill me with Your presence and Your power and Your word. Just now, let me pray. Amen. amen. Luke chapter one, start, or chapter three, sorry, starting in verse one. In the fifteenth year, of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Etura, and Tranquiatus and Licinius, Tetriarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caithus, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. If you think I read that fast, it's because I was trying to get through those names, right? But here's the cool thing about Luke and what Luke does as Luke was inspired by God to write these things, he he does it in a way that we can read it today and go, yeah, the word of God is true. And why Luke does that, what he does is he brings in very historical facts. Remember we talked about this several weeks ago. He brings in historical facts so that we can look at it and say there's no way that we can deny that these things did not happen. These were actual people, um, Pontius Pilate, Tiberius the Caesar, these were men who actually lived and there are very historical facts proving that. And so if that's the case, if these historical facts prove that these men were alive, that means that everything that we're about to read was true. And it still is true. That's why I love Luke. And another thing that Luke does is he gives us these historical names and figures um, so that, um, that we can see and go, man, this is awesome. And, and, and he gives us a, a kind of a glimpse into the culture. And so what's happening here, John is telling us that these men, this was the 15th year of Tiberius the Caesar. And we've talked, if you weren't here several weeks ago, we talked about how the Caesars, man, they ruled everything, not in a righteous way, but in a way that brought themselves glory. Brought themselves more power, more wealth, right? Some of the Caesars actually wanted to become gods themselves. And so he's given us a glimpse into the culture. When you hear these names, Tiberius, um, Pilate, Philip, Licinius, and Herod. It would give everybody in that culture chills down their spine. These men were evil, very wicked, very selfish type of men. And so Luke is giving us the context. In the 15th year of these men ruling, this is what's happening. But not only that, he gives us a glimpse of who the priesthood would. And you guys know some of these priests, these Pharisees, um, Annas and Caiaphas. These were very dark men who would use religion over people's heads to get what they want. And so this wasn't a time in history where being a follower of God, being a believer in God was a good thing. This was a scary, very uncertain, dark type of time. People who weren't, didn't know if they can trust God, they didn't know if God's word was actually going to come true, the promise that he would send the Messiah, they didn't know, so they just kind of went with the flow. Whatever the Pharisees and the high priest said, they would do. And so a lot of these people, they were being pushed into religion rather than following God for how good God is. You guys with me this morning? Don't, 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 don't zone out on me, okay? So here's what's going on. There is a, this big push for religion and personal gain and not God. But here's what's awesome. I want you to see how God works regardless of the culture and regardless of the times and regardless of who's in what position. Look at how God works. Look back at verse 2. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. So, regardless of what was happening, regardless of how um, no hope everybody had, the word of God came. Praise God for that. That is a good thing that, regardless of what's happening, God is still at work. And that's the same for you. Whatever's happening in your life, know that God is at work. The last time we heard about John the Baptist, right, this, the cool thing about Luke, he's giving us kind of two stories. We're seeing the life of Jesus and the life of John the Baptist. Luke is the only one that really gives detail about John's life. But the last that we heard was from Luke chapter 1, verse 80, and it says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Right? So all we know is that John, his birth was miraculous. You guys remember, it wasn't as miraculous as, as Jesus's, but John wasn't supposed to be born. And here he is and he knows his mission is to wait for the Lord to call him and now here we are. Fast forward, the word of the Lord came. All right, So now I want, you to, I want you to see and hear just kind of what um, this message, what is the word of God that God spoke to John? Look at verse 3. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This is God. This is John's ministry. This is why John was born. This is what God has called him to do. To go and prepare the way for the Lord. Because guess what? A newsflash. Jesus is on his way. And so John's only mission is to come preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And specifically, um, he said, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This was the perfect message at the perfect Time that his whole entire life he's been waiting for God to send him. And here he goes. Preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I want to help you see things. I want you to be able to read the word of God and see what it's focusing on. Because a lot of times the Bible focuses in on several different things. One, I want you to be able to read the scripture and go, okay, that's talking about God and his character. And that's the center of that text. Or, or maybe it's talking about Jesus and, and what Jesus is saying. Right now, I want you to see how this is a gospel-centered text. And so I want you to be able to see this. Look at it with me. Verse 3 again. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance... For the forgiveness of sins. So that word repentance, it's kind of a funny word, right? You don't necessarily ever hear that outside of a church content, right? Um, It's it's usually a Christian, i like to say Christianese um, language, repentance. But simply what that word means, repentance means a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of life. And I'll just make it real simple. It's like if you were driving... Right? Before Christianity, before you become a Christian, before you gave your life to Jesus, all of us were driving towards the city of sin, and I'm not talking about Las Vegas. right? But we're all driving, to stay with me, we're all driving towards a city of sin. But repentance looks like, hey, I'm getting into the next lane, I'm making the U-turn, and now I'm driving away from my selfishness, my sin, my own desire, my addictions, whatever it is, I'm turning away from that, and now I'm redirecting my mind, my heart, and my life towards the city and the kingdom of God. So now what that looks like is now your sin should be in the rear view mirror. It's always there. It doesn't just go away. But it should be in your rear view mirror. You should be striving to drive and lead your heart, your mind, and your entire life towards God and His kingdom. A lot of times we water down repentance to, you know, you're going one direction, now you change and you go the other. That's a very simple watered down version of what repentance means. Repentance is an entire life change from your heart, in your mind, all aspects of your life. That is repenting from one way to the next. It's every, it's your entire life, every aspect turning away from your selfishness into Jesus. And this is John, um, his message that God gave him. He's uh, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What he's not preaching, he's not preaching, get baptized, repent, then you are forgiven. That is not the gospel. That is so backwards and far from what Jesus Christ has done that it's ridiculous. Repentance and forgiveness, they go together. You cannot have forgiveness without you repenting first. It does not work. And it's not because you've repented. It's because of what Jesus Christ did in order that you might have forgiveness. It's not about us. It never has been about us, never will be about you and what you think you are. Jesus died for sin so that we would turn away from our selfishness and turn to his righteousness. And this is what John's preaching. That's good news. That's good news for us because God calls us to repent, to turn. Literally just turn towards him. And if God's doing that, that means it's good. If God's calling us to repent, that means that we can trust him with our lives. Going, God, I was an evil, wicked person. I ran away from you. I was talking to Greg this morning. How my freshman year in college, I was running from the Lord. I did not want to become a pastor. But God telling me that he will forgive me is so good because all I need to do is just repent. And he removes my sin. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west. He removes it f- completely. That is great, great, good news. That is the gospel. Y'all with me this morning? I got a little quiet in here, huh? But now what this is happening now, I want to be clear. Baptism is not what brings salvation. Baptism is not, it it, it does not bring salvation. If if baptism is what brought you salvation, then what Jesus Christ said on the cross to the thief. You guys remember Jesus died on the cross, right? Y'all remember that, right? Y'all haven't forgotten that, have you? I hope not. But Jesus died on the cross and next to him were two thieves. And he looked at one thief and, and he said, today because of your faith, surely I will see you where? In paradise. Now if baptism equals salvation, then what Jesus said to him is a lie. But That man on the cross didn't have time to get off the cross, go down to the river, get baptized, and then go back and hang himself on the cross. Jesus said when he was on the cross, it is finished. What Jesus did and what he did on the cross is enough for us to be forgiven of our sins. Nowhere in the Bible does it remotely come close to salvation is through baptism. Nowhere in the Bible does it come close to you sprinkling a baby when they're born. Baptism is not salvation, but baptism is a command that we get from Jesus Christ in Matthew 28. It is a response to your obedience to his command. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so as Christians, we are commanded to get baptized. That is your public confession that you believe that Jesus came to this earth. He died. He lived a perfect life. He died and he was buried and he was wrecked. That's exactly what your baptism is. It is your first act of obedience after you repent of your sins. This is the gospel that, John, that God told John to preach. This is the only gospel message. We repent of our sins, God forgives us, and our obedience we become baptized and we live a different life. Don't get that confused. Now look at verse four and six. Four through six, it says that is it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places will become level ways and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. John's mission was literally to prepare the way for Jesus, the king. And he was doing that by preaching this repentance and proclaiming that this repentance will bring you salvation. So I want you to think about that for a second. Think about the culture that he was preaching to. Many of those people were coming to hear him preach because of they were so religious. Remember this whole concept of what was happening in that time. Religion was being so pushed on them that if you become religious, then you're good in God's sight. And here comes John the Baptist preparing the way for the Lord, preparing the people for Jesus to come, going, it's a repentance um, for your forgiveness. That's a big culture shock. Kind of sounds like East Tennessee to me. I've been blessed to grow up on the West Coast 18 years of my life. I love California. Pray for my state on a serious note. Pray for my state. I know some people in those fires that I've lost of and just pray for the, the mindset of my home state. Um, but I'm so thankful to grow up there because it's not in the Bible, bill, obviously. But I'm also thankful for being able to live in the South for the past eight years of my life and see the, the, what the culture has done to some of the people in, this, in, these, in the Southern states. There, there's this wicked chain of, of religion that captivates many people that live around here that says if you become religious you're good. And that is far from far 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 from the truth of the gospel. Far far true. And so I want you to see how John combats his his culture. Look at verse 7. And he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out. So he's, he's doing his job. He's out there screaming in the wilderness, proclaiming this thing. Here comes a crowd of people, right? And they're coming to get baptized. You would think he would be excited. Look at his response. And he said to them, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. He's got a group of people coming out wanting to get baptized. And he calls them a brood of vipers. And that's disrespect. What he's telling them is you guys are a family of dirty, evil, slippery, conniving snakes. Who does that? What kind of preacher gets a crowd to listen to him and then calls him a bunch of snakes? Maybe I should start calling y'all some names. (laughs) You brood of vipers. Remember, I want you to remember what the Pharisees and the religious rulers at this time were doing. They were pushing this religion on them. And what John is doing is he's calling them out, trying to come and get baptized. And he's calling them out because they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Why he even calls them this, so in, in those times what the farmers would do, and we still see it today, after they would harvest, they would, they would literally burn their fields, right? To kind of cultivate it, let the ashes cultivate the soil and kind of start fresh, right? We see that today. That's still used across the world. But why John specifically told them that is because what would happen is as the fire would reach across the land, right? There would be dens for the, the snakes to live in. When the fire got close enough, the snakes would disperse trying to get out of it. Right? They are trying to escape the fire that was about to kill them. Right? And most of the time, the, the, the snake, you're not going to outrun a fire. Okay? Um, I, like I said, I don't know if you've watched the news, the fire's quick. And so a lot of these times, these snakes would get caught up in the fire and they would die. Here comes John the Baptist, seeing all these people, hearing the word of God and go, yeah, I want to be baptized, John. And he says, no, you're a bunch of snakes running from the fire. You're not out here trying to follow God. You're out here trying to get out of hell free. You're not using religion to build God up. You're using religion to set yourself free from the pits of fire, of hell. And guys, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't understand this, that's exactly what happens today in our culture. People come into church and they say praise God, never surrender to Him, never repent of their sins, never change their hearts, never give their whole life to God, and then when they die they're going to stand before the King and say God, remember I joined Dublin Baptist Church. I'm good, right? And I'm I promise you if you've never repented of your sins God's going to look at you and go right on you're sent to hell you do not know me and you will go to hell with your church membership religion does not save you from your sin it does not have enough power to save you from sin The only thing that has enough power to set you free from the consequences and the wrath of God that He has towards sin is Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that has the power to do that. And John's sounding, you brood of vipers. He even calls them out for thinking that just because of their ethnicity that, that they are good, he says, Don't use Abraham as your excuse. A lot of these people, they were, you know, I'm, I'm a part of God's family because I'm from the line of Abraham. I'm an Israelite or I'm, I'm Jewish. And he goes, man, even if God wiped all of the Israelites out, he can from the rocks bring up some more children of God and be happy. So it's not about your ethnicity. It's not about who you voted for, what you stand for. If you don't stand in Jesus Christ, the solid rock, you have Nothing. And here comes John. He's just preaching. He's got one good sermon. Think all preachers. We have one good sermon. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Jesus dying for your and my sin. If you've never repented for your sins, you stand condemned already according to John 3, 17 and 18. You stand. You stand literally condemned right now in your sin if you've never repented from it. But John also said, "Look at verse eight again." He says, "Bear fruits in keeping with repentance." What he's not saying—he's not saying that you, you need to act good so you don't lose salvation. You, you can't lose your salvation. The Bible tells us that when we come to Christ, we become His adopted sons and daughters. Is that right, Ken Smith? We become His adopted sons and daughters, and once you're adopted, you cannot be removed from the family. That should make you want to cry a little bit. But what He's saying here is, He's confronting them on their spiritual standing before God and their quality of life. True repentance comes with a life that has good fruit. Jesus preaches that. You know a a tree by the fruit that it bears, right? And so what John's trying to do, he goes, look, if, if you have experienced God and His forgiveness, your life should look like you have been transformed a little bit. If you've experienced God and His mercy and His grace, your life should produce some evidence of that. We see it all through Scripture. Paul says to King Agrippa, in Acts 26, repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. James basically said, um, what good is having faith if you don't do anything with it? Faith without works is what? Is dead. Ephesians 2 says we are God's workmanship created to do good work. So just as repentance and forgiveness goes together, so does doing something with your life. Doing something with what God has graced you with. It doesn't bring you salvation to do good works. But because you've experienced salvation, man, you should want to do something with it. Right? Maybe not. Maybe I'm the only one. Look at verse 9. John doesn't quit. He continues to push and he says, Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He said, The axe is laid at the root, not at the trunk, not at the branches, but the axe is laid at the root. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is going to be cut down. Based on their repentance, if they've never repented, that tree will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What John is doing at this point is he's preparing, not just the way of the Lord, but preparing the people for Jesus Christ, the King. And not just the King, but Jesus Christ, the Judge, who is going to judge this world. A lot of people don't want to hear that Jesus is the Judge. A lot of us would be just fine if Jesus stayed in the manger as a baby. Because babies are cute. Right? Y'all don't think babies are cute? What's wrong with you? You brood of vipers, right? A lot of us would be fine if Jesus was just the baby, that's fine. Or if Jesus was just the king because he is my king and that's all happy. Uh, We can leave Jesus as the Lord of my life because that's, that's happiness. The savior of the world, the prince of peace, right? But Jesus, in reality, yes, he's all of the things. And yes, those are happy thoughts. But Jesus, you have to know him fully. He's also the king that is coming to judge the world. And because of that, we praise Him. If God wasn't good, and if He wasn't a God of justice, He would not be worthy of our praise. But God is a just God. Look down, I'm going to skip down to verse 15 and 17, 16 and 17. It says, "...as the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether if he was the Christ... John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with the unquenchable fire. This is what this is an image of what Jesus is gonna do when he comes back. He promised us that he would come back to get his people. And what that's going on, you you John's giving them a visual of a farmer kinda going through his wheat, right? Going through his hay. When you take your fork in and you kinda shake it, the good stuff falls out and the bad stuff kinda goes into the air, it's kinda left over. You gather the bad stuff and you burn it. It's useless. John's telling us, man, if you do not repent of your sins, if you do not turn to Jesus Christ and give him your life, you are that that waste that is going to be tossed aside and burned in the fire that's unquenchable. Jesus is a just judge. A lot of people say, if God was so loving and so good, how can he send people to hell? Because he's a just God. He is just. Mm. I'm here to tell you. And I know, Let me. some of you might be offended right now. And that's okay. It, it hurts when our sin and, and, our, and our quality of life and what we're doing with our life or what we're not doing with our life, it, it hurts when it gets called out. But what's more offensive to God is you not acknowledging the sin in your life. That's what's more offensive to God than anything else. You choosing not to acknowledge the fact that you have sin in your life that you need to repent of. A lot of times, and I know, I know this to be true, I've, I've done ministry for eight years, I grew up with my grandparents, a lot of the times you would think that as you were a Christian for many years and you get into your older stages of life that it would be way easier for you because you've been walking with the Lord a lot longer for you to come daily and repent to Jesus Christ. But it's opposite. I've noticed in my ministry that the older Christians get, the easier it is for them to think that they don't need to repent anymore. That's dangerous. That is so dangerous. Repenting should be happening every single day. Why? Because you sin every single day. You always have something that you're messing up in. There's always something that you keep turning to rather than God. So that means, baby, we need to be coming to a spot in our life, in our walk with God, that we say, God, I'm sorry. I'm repenting right now. I'm turning from it because I want to drive not towards my own sin, but I want to drive towards your kingdom. So if, you're, if, you're, if you've been walking with Jesus for longer than I've been alive, don't fall into that trap. Still, you still have to repent. Not repent so that you that you might lose your salvation, but re- this repenting of God. I, I'm sorry, I keep turning away from you. Don't fall into that trap. And so here here's the good thing, though. John John kind of eases up a little bit, not too much. Right, but he, he, he wants to show them what a repented heart and mind and life looks like. Look at verse 10. And the crowds ask him, What then shall we do? After you've called us a bunch of names, told us we're going to die and go to hell, what can we do? Right, what, what is it that we can do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what then shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. Repentance looks like your life being changed. In this example, he's telling these religious people that they have been apathetic towards the needy all around them. He's telling them, guys, there's people that have needs, they don't have clothes, they don't have foods. Your heart needs to change. If you're going to repent, your your, um, apathy towards the needy needs to change. I love what Ryan says. We, We need to be serving our community. And here's John the Baptist. If you see someone in need, give to them. And this is a challenge for me. I'm always, I am always try to be open and honest with you guys. I grew up in an area where there's a lot of homelessness. I mean, a lot of it. Everywhere you look, there's someone that has no home to put their head, to lay their head down. And most of the time where I'm from, they're there in that situation and in that scenario because of some drug addiction. That, that is my, my childhood, my contact. That's the majority of those scenarios. And so I grew up really apathetic, which means I, I, I grew up kind of numb. I've just seen them and it doesn't bother me anymore. Now what John's telling us, if we are to be repenting of our sins and be turning towards God, the things that we used to see and think has to change. No longer can it be okay if you are a Christian to see needy with no clothes, no food, no shelter, while it takes us 20 minutes to get ready for church on Sunday morning. 20 minutes for us to look into our closet and say, what outfit am I going to wear today? John calls them out. What do you actually care about? A repented heart sees the things that God sees and wants to help the people that God has placed in their life. Then he gets a little even more specific. He starts going towards um, the the people, the crowds, and the tax collectors, and the soldiers. And for them, they said that repentance looks like a very specific thing that applied to them. Do not use your position for selfish gain. Don't extort for money. Don't bully. Don't use your power to get what you want. Right? And so what he's saying is that repentance requires us to look at every aspect of our life. And go, is my my life pointing people to Jesus or is it pointing people to me? Is my life and everything I do, all of my motives, is it to bring glory to God or is it for some selfish way? That's what repentance requires. That's why our mission here at Dumpen Baptist Church, three words, very simple, worship, serve, disciple. We're not going to do anything in this church outside of worship, serving, and discipling. John's saying, what does your life look like? Is every aspect. The way that you treat people at work. The way that you use the authority that you have. The way that you treat your wife, your husband, your family, your friends. The way that you look at homelessness. The way that you use your money. How is it glorifying God? Is it glorifying God? If it's not, repent from it. Turn from it. So the question is, how do we do that? And what that looks like is you kneeling before God Almighty every single day, asking Him to show you exactly who you are. It requires you to literally pray, God, what what is it that you're calling me to do? And then it requires you to actually look at your life and ask yourself, What are the temptations to sin that happens in my life every day? God, what is it that I'm failing in every... And you guys know. You guys know your sin. There's certain places you can't go. There's certain people you can't talk to. There's certain things that you can't watch because it's going to cause you to sin and stumble. The best way to, to stay away from those things is to stay away from them. Let them go. But we don't look at ourselves because... It's kind of ugly to look at ourselves sometimes. Amen? But God's grace and His love, He doesn't see them. When you come to Jesus, He sees His Son and your faith in His Son, and He says, I love you. Rely on me. I'll pull you through this temptation. So John 3 <laughs> demands us to understand what repentance looks like. Because if you don't, uh, if you if you don't understand repentance, you are missing the, you, you're missing everything, you're missing the gospel, you're missing what it means to be a Christian, and the Christian life, and that that simply is to be a life that is full of repentance. So here's how we're going to close. I'm ask uh, the worship team, y'all coming up, Maya, we can go ahead and start playing. John called that culture to do a major heart check. I mean, he he stood in front of a group of people who were there to get baptized. But he had them check their lives first. Y'all focus with me. He, He had them check their lives first. And we need to do the same exact heart check today. You have to look at yourself and see where you are not standing rightly before God. What areas in your life are you not glorifying him? If you want to have a biblical test, the first one, because the Bible talks about this way more than anything else, is what are you doing with your money? I haven't talked about tithe yet. I haven't. But the Bible talks way more about what you should do with your money because I, guess, I promise you, money will dictate who and what you serve. Are you generous with your money? Are you generous in giving God what it already belongs to Him in the first place? If not, if you if it's hard for you to give back to God what's already His, there's a spiritual problem in your relationship with God. I love you guys. Are you generous with your possessions, with your car, with your home? Are you generous with your family? Are you generous to God with your time? These are all spiritual, biblical heart checks that you need to be. And me too, I promise you, this is me too. I don't read this Bible and I say preachers are exempt from this. This hits me hard. I have to heart check myself every single day because I fail God every single day but I want to strive to be the man that God created me to be and live a life that is repentant, that proves that God's forgiveness is the sweetest thing that you can ever experience. If you've experienced God's sweet forgiveness, I want you to clap with me right now. So here's how we're going to end. Maybe you've never repented of your sins. Maybe like thousands and thousands and thousands of other people, at some point you said this prayer and you felt good, but you never truly changed and turned your mind, your heart, and your life to God. You can do that today. If you've never surrendered to God, Johnson, the axe is already laid at the root. You stand condemned already you can experience forgiveness and salvation today. On the other hand, Christians who have repented, maybe there's some things in your life that you've never turned over to God. Maybe there's those things that are like, hey God, you can have all of this part of my life, but this little box over here, this is, you can't touch this. Maybe you don't live a life that reflects the glory of God. Or maybe you think that repentance is a one-time, one-and-done type of thing. That's not true. So what's going to happen is we're going to stand, I'm going to pray. If you need to make a decision for God, do it. If you need to repent of a sin that, that you've been struggling with, come lay it down, come ask for forgiveness. But know this, once you turn to Jesus and you repent and you give him all of your sins, he says it is finished. Do not let the enemy hold that over you, trying to make you feel guilty so that you won't follow Jesus. That's what the enemy does. But the Holy Spirit also convicts us, tells us, hey, maybe you should give this up to God. pray.